Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Starting tomorrow, Friday, San Francisco will no longer require proof of vaccination or a negative test into restaurants, bars, and gyms. KQED's Carly Severin has more. San Francisco became the first major U.S. city to mandate proof of full vaccination for certain indoor activities back in August last year. But as COVID cases and hospitalizations continue to decline, San Francisco Health Officer Dr. Susan Phillips says that rolling back these vaccine requirements is part of coming out of crisis mode and learning to live with the virus. The city of Berkeley will also follow. After Friday, businesses in both cities can still require proof of vaccination from customers and their staff, as well as masks. And vaccine proof or a negative test is still required for so-called mega events indoors of over a thousand people. For The California Report, I'm Carly Severn. In Los Angeles, meanwhile, the city council yesterday took a step toward rolling back L.A.'s indoor vaccine mandate. KPCC senior health reporter Jackie Fortier has the details. Since early November, the city of L.A. has required everyone 12 and up to show proof that they are vaccinated before entering indoor restaurants, bars, gyms, and other businesses. Now, with COVID cases falling and L.A. County easing its own vaccination and masking rules, the city may soon drop the vaccine mandate. The city attorney was instructed by council to write a new ordinance rolling back the requirements and present it for a final vote at a later date. But it may not mean an end to carrying around your CDC card. Individual businesses will still be able to ask customers to prove that they are vaccinated if they choose. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. California officials are cheering a Biden administration move to restore the state's power in setting its own smog control rules. The decision reverses a Trump-era policy. KQED senior climate editor Kevin Stark reports. Governor Newsom called it a major victory in the fight against climate change. Speaking to auto executives and climate leaders at an electric vehicle summit, here's Newsom's climate advisor, Lauren Sanchez. We're all really excited. We can take this agenda even further. She said California is now glad to partner with EPA to reduce emissions, improve air quality, and push for electric vehicles. Newsom wants to move beyond regulating gas cars and has ordered the sale of new ones banned entirely by 2035. Environmental groups want the state to move more aggressively and include trucks and buses in that ban. Still, Richard Frank, director of UC Davis's Law and Policy Center, says California's authority to regulate emissions from gas cars is important. While we are in the process of seeing a transition from fossil-fueled vehicles to electric uh, vehicles, that transition is going to take 
considerable amount uh, of time. He says whatever California can do now to limit the greenhouse gas emissions from cars is critical and necessary for the state to reach its climate targets. For the California Report, I'm Kevin Stark. California Republican Congressman and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is calling on the governor to reverse the state's restrictions on oil and gas production now that Russian oil imports have been banned. KQED's Alex Hall has more. In a letter addressed to Governor Newsom Tuesday, McCarthy said California's current oil and gas policies enacted under his administration have, quote, crippled the industry and that they harm California oil and gas producers' ability to meet the country's energy needs and strengthen national security. McCarthy laid out a list of proposed actions he says would keep gas prices stable for California drivers and offset the country's dependence on Russian crude oil. Those include steps like approving new and pending drilling permits, repealing an executive order banning new fracking in the state by 2024, and reversing California's moratorium on new wells that use cyclic steam injection, an oil extraction method that has been linked to a series of leaks in Kern County's oil fields. Congressman McCarthy's district covers most of Kern County, which produces about 70 percent of the state's oil. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has created a mushrooming humanitarian catastrophe in Europe. Millions of Ukrainians who were living normal lives just three weeks ago have now become refugees and displaced persons, fleeing Russian bullets, bombs, and missiles. In response, organizations from around the world are springing into action, offering expertise and material support. That includes the Santa Barbara-based group Shelterbox, which provides emergency shelters and supplies to people living in disaster and conflict zones around the world. From Poland, Shelterbox's president, Carrie Murray, joins us now. Carrie, thanks for being on the show. Thanks. Thank you for having me. So I understand you were down on the border of Poland and Ukraine yesterday. What did you see? As chaotic as you would think it would be. It was very coordinated. It was very calm. I saw clergy handing out tulips to every single person who got off the train. I saw great humanitarian organizations, World Central Kitchen, right on the platform, serving hot meals. I saw first responders. The first responders are Polish citizens. They're there. They're providing meals. They're providing SIM cards. They're providing rides. So what are the the needs that your group is trying to meet specifically? So at Shelterbox, we provide emergency shelter and basic supplies to set up household. It's going to be different in this disaster. There are things like our shelter toolkits, the tarps and tools to repair homes that have been bombed in Ukraine. These help provide the ability to repair your home so you can shelter in place. And because this refugee crisis is happening really in the heart of Eastern Europe, Are there particular challenges or opportunities that present themselves that wouldn't if this were occurring someplace else in the world? Well, the obvious challenge right now is the difficulty with humanitarian corridors and access. So right now we have to ensure that these corridors are maintained so people, one, can leave safely, but also so we can have a reliable and predictable way to get critical supplies into Ukraine to help these folks who've been left behind. But also just in terms of things that are gonna make this helpful to us is that we do have aid pre-positioned. 
within the region. So within a two days drive, we actually have warehouses filled with some supplies in Belgium. And we can also procure some items that we don't have in Europe. And of course, as we try to grapple with what's happening with Ukrainian refugees, there are so many other places of misery and war in the world, right? Afghanistan, mm-hmm. Yemen, and so on. Are there any concerns that that addressing the needs, the very you know real needs of Ukrainians might take attention and resources away from what's happening in other places on the planet? Yes. And so while this is one of the biggest humanitarian issues right now facing our world, there's several others and so that aren't getting the headlines or the attention. And so there are places that are truly forgotten about, places like Yemen, one of the worst humanitarian situations in our world today, Syria. And so yes, for us, while this is drawing a ton of attention, and we are absolutely committed to supporting these families who've been displaced by the crisis in Ukraine, we have to continue to support people in places who've been displaced by awful conflict situations in other parts of the world. So so yes, that's something that for many organizations that are responding, we do this this work all over the world, and it's not going to get the attention that this crisis is receiving. All right. That is Carrie Murray, president of Santa Barbara-based Shelterbox. Carrie, thanks so much for joining us on the California Report. Thank you. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. As tax time approaches, new data shows that the poorest taxpayers are audited at five times the rate of everyone else. And as KQED's Tyke Hendricks reports, California has more of those tax filers than any other state. The number of audits the IRS performed last year was at a 30-year low, save for the year before. But half of those audits fell on low-income families who claim the earned income tax credit, making them much more likely than other Americans to face scrutiny. That's according to a new analysis out this week from Syracuse University. Los Angeles County Congresswoman Judy Chu sits on the House Committee with oversight of the IRS. She says the problem is that Republican budget cuts hollowed out the staff at the tax collection agency. Absolutely an issue of the shrinking of the budget uh, and the lack of resources for the IRS. Chu says if the IRS could afford more skilled revenue agents, they could go after wealthy tax cheats with complex returns and recoup as much as $1 trillion a year. Instead, the agency focused on audits by mail, which are cheaper to perform. 
She says there is some new money for IRS enforcement in the current spending bill, but just a fraction of what was proposed in President Biden's stalled Build Back Better Act. It is so important to ensure that those wealthy individuals and corporations who owe the taxes pay their fair share. The report also found the trouble for low-income taxpayers who were audited was worse because the IRS also lacks customer service staff to take phone calls and explain what documentation people need to provide. The IRS did not respond to KQED's requests for comment. For The California Report, I'm Tyke Hendricks. A national survey out today reports 166 publicly disclosed cyber attacks affecting schools last year. Rachel Myro reports from KQED's Silicon Valley desk. Just nine school breaches were reported to the California Attorney General's office in 2021. Doug Levin with the nonprofit K-12 Security Information Exchange says there's no doubt schools and school districts are under-reporting data breaches and ransomware attacks, in part out of shame, in part because some may not know they've been hacked. I'm, you know, sort of reluctant to call folks by name because I, I don't, it's sort of like kicking a victim when they're down, right? That's okay. I'll name a few. Visalia Unified School District, Monterey Peninsula Unified, Lodi. California law requires a business or state agency to notify state residents of data breaches, but Levin says the law should require more from schools. Not to be punitive, just to help everyone know what they're up against. We shouldn't be reinventing the wheel school district to school district because we're all facing the same kind of threats. We're running the same kinds of systems. Congresswoman Doris Matsui of Sacramento introduced a bill last year that would have directed federal cybersecurity specialists to support local schools, but it never got a vote in the House. With 21 co-sponsors from both sides of the aisle this year, she might succeed this time. For The California Report, I'm Rachel Myro. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system. On the web at chcf.org slash health equity. Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores, or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And that is the California Report for Thursday, March 10th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day, and we'll talk tomorrow. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just 
what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.